Good evening, and welcome to Midnight Audio Theater, the weekly show where we bring you new and original audio dramas, be they adventure, mystery, sci-fi, or comedy. I'm your host, Kathy Rinella. And it's about time that we wrap up the old year, dear listeners. And as the holidays are wrapping up as well, we find ourselves thinking about everything we've done and everything we hope to do in the future. And speaking of pasts and futures, we also have an announcement regarding our annual script competition for MAT. Regulars have no doubt noticed that we have not posted anything regarding the competition on our website or social media like we normally do this time of year. I'm afraid we are taking a year off from the competition for 2020. During this time, we're hoping to tackle several other audio drama projects that we've been putting on the back burner for years now due to the competition and the MAT features, including, hopefully, more live shows and some joint works with Columbus Theater Groups. And for anyone who is a long, long time fan of Dreamcatcher, well... Keep your fingers crossed a bit longer because we're hoping to tackle that in 2020 as well. The good news is we still have some MAT features to look forward to. Production on the winning stories from 2019 got off to a late start, but we hope to have them ready to share with you next month. So stay tuned for that. Now, time to get on with the stories. First up, we're checking in with Mercury, a broadcast of hope from Atlanta Radio Theater Company. Enjoy. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Mercury, a broadcast of hope. I'm Max O'Brien, here today with Dr. Rosalind Clark and Agnes Drew, and it's day 451 since we came back on the air. And, as I suspect most of you know, today is New Year's Eve. Max, do you remember how much I loved Christmas Eve and how much you hated it? Yeah. Well, the tables have turned. You seem to be in love with this so-called holiday, whereas I would rather just go to bed. I'm with Max this time, actually. I love New Year's Eve. Okay, you're entitled to your wrong-headed opinion, but can you, I don't know, go to Deerfield to celebrate or something and leave me here by myself? Actually, we can't. Um, We talked about it, but after the Halloween party, I don't really want to risk overindulging again. And now that we're well into winter, the days are so short and the nights are so long that we don't want to risk coming back in the dark. So stay the night. I can do the broadcast by myself tomorrow. Why do you dislike New Year so much? I just do, okay? You know that's not going to fly around here, Agnes. Spill it. Okay, fine. So at Christmas, I talked about how everything about it was possibility. The chance to turn the fear of the unknown into a happy and joyous celebration of the unknown, where things could be whatever you wanted them to be. And honestly, I know that should be true for New Year's also. It's a new year, a clean slate, a time for making improvements and so forth. Except it isn't, at least not for me. It's just a day on the calendar. It's arbitrary. Do you know how many different calendars there have been in history? Do you know how many times each of them changed? This is only a new year because a lot of people got together and said it was. She's got a point. The history of calendars is pretty complex. People love to measure time. Okay, but isn't Christmas also arbitrary? First of all, no. A lot of Christmas traditions came out of the seasonal celebrations that had to do with the harvest and feast days. Second, the sense of possibility that I feel at Christmas has nothing to do with what time of the year it is. I could feel that sense of wonder any time. It just bothers me that everybody thinks that the new year is this time of great possibility Because everybody feels that it's a time of great possibility. There's no underlying importance. I mean, 
Can't you just enjoy it for the sake of enjoying it? Why does it have to be important? At the end of the day, I have to admit that it doesn't. But at the same time, I see so many people who don't see it as an opportunity to begin again, but instead see it as a time to regret everything they did during the past year as a lost opportunity. Or worse, just use it as an excuse to party too hard because no chance to celebrate should end in any other way other than blacking out. Have you always felt this way? I I kind of feel bad for you. I've always enjoyed New Year's. For me, Christmas was a time to get together with family, but New Year's was a time to get together with friends. Both were equally important, and I was glad to have a chance to do both, especially so close together. No, I wasn't always this way. I got this way after listening to a friend of mine one year who spent the entire evening going over every single mistake he'd made in the previous year and lamenting about how different his life would be if he'd just made different decisions. What if he'd locked his bike up better? Uh, What if he'd stayed at the job he quit? What if he hadn't made that unfortunate comment on Facebook? Just on and on with the regrets and none of it was useful for anything. He couldn't go back and change any of it. And he'd been fine up until that point. And he was fine afterwards. And yes, maybe he just needed to vent. And the fact that it was New Year's was just a coincidence. But it really bothered me. I can see that. But why let one experience color your whole understanding of the event? Because it wasn't just him. I see lots of people doing it. Even New Year's resolutions bother me. You could have decided to do any of those self-improvement projects at any time during the year and you knew you needed or wanted to, but you waited until a specific arbitrary day. So do you make a resolution, Agnes? No. I resolved one year that I would make no more New Year's resolutions. And that's the one I've kept. Besides, with these shorter days and longer nights... All I really want to do is to go to bed shortly after the sun goes down. Okay, well, if there's a Scrooge of New Year's, I guess it's just as well that it's Agnes. Listeners, we hope you have a good New Year's celebration, no matter how you choose to do it. For ourselves, we're planning to play some games here at the station and then go to bed. Maybe we'll make it to midnight, maybe we won't. But I can guarantee you that all of us here will be looking to the upcoming year with hope and optimism... And we hope that you will be too. We didn't always do everything perfectly, but we did our best. And that's as much as anyone ought to expect. Thank you for saying that, Max. No problem. For Mercury, a broadcast of hope, this has been Max O'Brien, Dr. Rosalind Clark, and Agnes Drew. Take care of each other. Again, that was Mercury, a broadcast of hope, number 451, Old Lang Sign, from Atlanta Radio Theater Company. The series has been releasing daily broadcasts from the aftermath of the zombie apocalypse since 2017, and with each episode available only for 24 hours at a time. The series is still going on, so to catch up on the full run, go to patreon.com slash mercuryradio and artc.org. Up next, a Christmas story after Christmas. A darker precursor to Dickens' tale of A Christmas Carol. Instead of Ebenezer Scrooge, there's Gabriel Grubb. Instead of ghosts, there are goblins. Both stories occur on Christmas Eve, and both involve the redemption of a wretched old man. Please note, the following story includes instances of physical violence and abuse. Listener discretion is advised. This is The Goblins and the Gravedigger, produced by Kenny Chumbley and Patricia Reynolds. Christmas Carol 
Broadcasting from Win Win Recording in Kilcurry, Dundalk, County Louth, Ireland. Hagelock Theatre Group presents The Goblins and the Gravediggers. Mr. Pickwick, it's a frightful night to be out. And and were it not for the good fellowship I expect to enjoy this evening, I'd be home. Snows, does it, Mr. Pickwick? No, I should say it does, mortal. It's an old English blizzard we're having, a real storm. It's nights like this that make the fireside warm when you sit near it. And, and, And the summer greener, as you think of it. What did he say? There's nothing the matter, is there? No, Mother. Mr. Pickwick was just saying rough weather's afoot. Heavy snow, frightful cold. I can't ever remember a Christmas Eve this wintry. Oh, well, I can. This is just like the Christmas Eve the goblins carried off Gabriel Grubb. Who? (laughs) What? Goblins? (laughs) It's nothing, Mr. Pickwick. Just a silly story folks round here used to tell about a church sexton, a gravedigger, who was snatched by goblins. Silly? There's no silliness to it. People here are far too sensible for silliness. Now, Mother, don't be grouchy. Then don't say it's nonsense when it's not. The story about the goblins and the gravedigger is true, Mr. Pickwick, and that's the end of it. <laughs> no, 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 that's not the end. That's the start. I'd, I'd like to hear this story. I, I believe we, we all would like to hear it. Oh, all right. Libations all round and everyone find a perch. I suppose this is as good a night as any for fairy tale. Christmas tale! Yes, Mother, as good a night as any for a Christmas tale. <clears throat> so, is everyone ready? I see you nodding. Yes, good. Well, ever so long ago, when our great-grandfathers lived and believed it... Which, quite frankly, means it's true! Yes, Mother, when our great-grandfathers lived and believed it was true, there occurred a most curious thing. It was Christmas Eve, and at the village church, Ben, a poor boy whose only family was his widowed mother, was sweeping the sanctuary. The curate had promised him a penny if he would tidy up and ready the sanctuary for Christmas services the next morning. Two deacons, typical ecclesiastics, who smelled of phylacteries, were on their way to the church for a meeting with the sexton. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, oh, come ye, oh, Oh, my word, deacon, look who's here. Merry Um, Christmas, Ben. Merry Christmas, Deacons. Well, aren't you in a festive mood? I'm always in a good mood at Christmas, sir, and I try to be extra happy for me mother. What do you mean? Well, we lost our father three Christmases ago. Ah, yes, yes, I I remember. And Christmas ain't been the same since, especially for mother. But I've got an idea that might change that. The curate's promised me a copper if I'd sweep up, and I'm going to buy some plums. Open that when Mother sees them. She'll make a pudding. 
and forget her sadness, if just for a while. A capital idea, son. Good for you. Uh, say, we're expecting the sexton any moment. Now, when he arrives, will you tell him we're in our office? For sure I will. Merry Christmas to you and many of them. Come and behold him, born the king of... It's always been a mystery to me how a saint like Brother Grub could sire a ne'er-do-well son like Gabriel. Oh, agreed. Brother Grub was such a divine. Twice to church on Sunday, sometimes thrice. Ah, no one sang louder nor prayed longer. <laughs> nor had a son more surly nor cross-grained. Gabriel Grub's luck could sour milk. I'd rather be doing anything today than having him fasten his squinty eyes on me. Oh, agreed. Oh, but there's no avoiding it. Twas a shame Brother Grub died afore his three score and ten. Did you remember the particulars? Seems it were an accident at home. And on Christmas Eve, if memory serves. Oh, come, let us adore him. Stop your caterwauling, boy. Before I stop before you. Gabriel Grubb, a man with a long nose, a long chin, scraggly hair and no smile. The church sexton had arrived. But it's Christmas Eve, Mr Grubb. It's gall and wormwoods what it is. Merry Christmas anyway, sir. The deacons are waiting in their office. The clods. Wasting me time. Ah, sexton. So nice of you to drop boy. I didn't drop boy. I was told to be here. Uh, yes, sir. Well, what's uh, this about? Well, <coughs> as you know, this time each year it's customary for the deacons to distribute gifts of appreciation to the church. Out. So, so it is with great regret now we must inform you. There will be no gift for you this year. What I just hear? I was getting no money. And why's that? I know for a fact that the church baskets have been brimming over of late. Money is not the problem. Then what is? Uh, the problem, Sexton, uh, is you. I? I, you're saying, I's a problem? There's been complaints. Parishioners are upset. They claim it's always a... A, a jolt and a jar when they must deal with you to arrange a funeral. You're perceived as being ill-mannered, intimidating and insulting. So? The complaints merit action. But out of respect to your sainted father, we're, we're allowing you to retain your position. <laughs> My father, a saint? <laughs> My father, a saint. Uh, do remember, there's a grave that needs to be dug. I don't need your reminding. Now I think we're finished here. Have you anything to add? I does. Your arses, both of you. <laughs> Mr. Grubb. Oh my word, such impudence. Yes, Deacon. Now, but we must tread lightly here. Uh, good grave diggers are hard to find. Grubb, as you can imagine, left in an ugly mood. When he reached his home, a fusty old shanty, he found his flask and was soon imbibing. By late afternoon, his disposition, fanned by drink, was as dark as the gathering gloom. Oh, well, this 
might as well dig that blasted grave. Where's me flask? Collecting his spade, lantern and liquor, Gabriel Grubb headed for the road to the graveyard known as Coffin Lane. Night was heavy and snow started to fall as Grubb stumbled out. His trek to the cemetery sorely tempted his diminished soul, for he was surrounded by Christmas life. The sound of sleigh bells, the glad lights of fireplaces reflected through frosted windows, the shouts of neighbors wishing each other Merry Christmas, the aromas of geese being stuffed and pudding being boiled, all of which made him hiss like a green log thrown on the fire. He would have been happier to have seen children sick with fever or measles or croup or whooping cough. For in those cases, there was always the chance his professional services might be needed. Despite the numerous irritations, he scuttled on, heading for Coffin Lane. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply. Echoing their joyous strength. At that very time Grubb was heading out, young Ben was heading home with the plums he bought. Who's making that infernal noise? Ah, oh, I might have guessed. It's the rook that were a torment to me earlier. You, boy, come here. Yes? Oh, hello, Mr. Grubb. Merry Christmas again. I'm on my way home with some plums. Open me mother will make a pudding. Plum pudding, you say? Yes, sir. Ben's joy was more than Grubb could bear. In an instant, the bitterness within him rose like a mist of malignity that bordered on madness. Rage, like love and fortune, blinds, and Grubb could no more see the depravity in what he did next than he could see the backside of the north wind. Swiftly, Unconsciously, his fury welled into a vicious blow delivered to the side of Ben's head. Ah! A second battery followed the first, ah! dropping Ben to the ground. Please, sir, whatever I did, I'm sorry. Don't you ever get Christmassy around me again, you hear? Yes, I won't, sir. With his senseless rage momentarily sated, Grubb continued happily on his way, leaving Ben beaten and sobbing in the snow. <laughs> Before continuing, might anyone need a spot of tea or some bread pudding? Oh, not now, man. Your story enchants us. Onwards! By the time he reached the graveyard, the night was dark, the wind was stirring, and snow was falling. <laughs> It's getting cola. Lost it. Where would I put me flask? Oh, here it is. Oh, just what the doctor ordered. Brave lodgings for one. Brave lodgings for one. A hole of colder. When life is done. A stone at the head. A stone at the feet, a rich juicy meal for the worms to eat. Rank grass over red and damp clay around. Brave lodgings for one in this holy ground. 
There's a thought. A Christmas funeral. They should tie a red bow round the coffin. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. What? Who's that? Is, is someone there? Nah. Must have been an echo. It was not. Suddenly, Grub saw, maybe just felt, a dark shadow flit by, and the starch started ebbing from his spine. Who? Who's there? Turn around, and you'll see. When Grub turned, what he saw made his blood run cold, for seated upon a tombstone was a strange phantom. His long legs were crossed in a quaint fashion, and his hands rested upon his knees. He wore a bright green, close-fitting garment trimmed in gold brocade. A short cloak dangled from his back. On his head was a pointed hat, the kind known as a sugarloaf, garnished with a long feather. His shoes curled at the toes, and he looked as if he'd been sitting there comfortably for two or three hundred years. It was a goblin. The shock to Grub's nerves was so sharp, it gave him a jerk that nearly threw him off balance. It was all he could do to regather his courage enough to speak. <gasps> who, who, who are you? A good neighbor. No, no, no. Spit it out, man. You sound like a horse. Yes, neighbor, friend and neighbor. What brings you here this night? <gasps> Oh, grave, sir. I's here to dig a grave. Who makes graves when others make merry? What's in the flask, grave digger? Brand brandy. Are you drunk? Well, to me knees, maybe, but no higher. <laughs> Who drinks on a night like as our fair and lawful prize. Gabriel Grubb! Gabriel Grubb! <laughs> Have you anything to say, Grave Digger? It's, it's, it's very curious, sir. But it could be the spirits I see in are from the spirits I was drinking. At this, the goblin gave Grubb a kick that bowled him over. Oh. Has anything oh. from a bottle ever given you a oh. kick like that, Grave Digger? Oh. Who thinks what he's seeing comes from a bottle? Gabriel Grubb! Gabriel Grubb! My friends seem to know you, Grave Digger. They seem to know you quite well. Begging your pardon, sir. But I don't know how they know me. We've never been introduced. And even if we had, what gives you the right to question me business? Right? You ask me about rights. What gave you the right to beat a poor boy on Christmas Eve? How dare you challenge my right to question your wrong? Boys, <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid I must be going. <laughs> going? Gravedigger says he must be going. <laughs> Suddenly the wind cut loose. The lights in the church flashed a pale yellow, and the organs whirled out on earthly music. Around Grub there suddenly appeared a gob of goblins. They capered, they reeled, they skirled, leapfrogging over tombs and one another. 
the only place you're going, Gravedigger, is with us. Before Grub could escape, the goblin grabbed his collar and the two of them sank into the earth. In the rapidity of the descent, Grub lost his breath. When he caught it, he found himself in a large subterranean hall, such as the old legends associated with dwarves. The lighting was neither black night nor bright noon, but more like twilight, when shadows that have been prisoned up all day are released. Around him were goblins. Before him, sitting on a throne carved from a large rock, was the goblin with whom he'd been speaking. Grub's sphere had now multiplied six times larger than it was on the surface. Welcome to our humble home, Gravedigger. My, but it's cold enough to take the skin off your face. Bring me something sizzling. Here you are, sire. What was handed the goblin was a clear goblet filled with what looked like liquid fire. As the goblin drained the cup, a red-hot glow could be seen descending his throat. <coughs> ah, that makes me feel balmy inside. <laughs> a bumper for our guest. Thank you, but I's not in the habit of taking anything warm at night. Then you need a new habit. If he won't drink it, pin him on the ground and pour it down his throat. No, I don't want... I don't. Seeing Grub's reaction to the fiery froth caused the entire assemblage to break out in laughter. Do you know why we brought you here, Grave Digger? Because you're trolls. The lot of you. <gasps> trolls? I assure you, we're not trolls. I'll admit we're romps. I'll even admit we can be naughty. We might spill your milk or tap on your windows. Or hide your sheep. <laughs> Or untie your water bucket and let it fall down the well. But we're not even our stepmother's half-brother's third cousin to trolls. We dread those misfits as much as you do. So guess again. Why do you think we brought you here? To rob me of my life, I wager. No, no. I told you we're not trolls. You are an abysmal guesser, grave digger. So I'll answer the question myself. You're here because it's Christmas. And we've a gift for you. A gift? Is that an echo? Echo, echo. Yes, a gift. What kind of gift? One you desperately need. I don't know what you're talking about. Then let me explain. I've been on your scent for some time and have learned two things about you. First, your heart is hollow. 
There's no holy of holies in you. Ah. Second, you have a story no one who knows you has read. But I've read it and pity you. And because I do, I've a gift for you. The gift of hope. You're dark. <laughs> I doubt you've thought much about how wretched you are. But you will tonight. The boys and I will see to that. You're beyond daft. You're tempting me to leave you to your fate. But I shall resist temptation. So what have we got for this pathetic man, boys? <laughs> ah, yes. The book. Bring it. Gabriel Grubb, who had never sought compassion or comfort from any living creature, had no interest in gifts. But the goblins were not about to let him ignore the gift they had for him. At the goblins' command, the assembly parted, and a small, officious-acting goblin walked in carrying an oversized book. Grubb could only look on, utterly bewildered. Here it is, Grave Digger. One of a kind, hot off the press, first edition copyright pending book. With your name on it. You can keep it. <laughs> but it's not our book, Grave Digger. It's yours. See, it says Gabriel Grubb right here on the cover. But don't judge this book by its cover, but by its soul. For the soul of this book, Grave Digger, is your very own. I ain't a reader. Not a problem, <laughs> because you don't read this book. It's an enchanted book that functions like a mirror. You don't look at a mirror to look at a mirror. You look at a mirror to look at yourself. And this book, just like a mirror, will reveal yourself to yourself in only three pages. Bah! Why only three pages, you ask? Well, every book has but three parts. A beginning, an ending, and an in-between. And every life, like every book, has the same three parts. Thus, your book has a page for your past, your present, and your passing. I'll venture you weren't expecting such a treasure like this for Christmas. No venture. I was reporting ye to the sheriff for kidnapping. <laughs> the grave digger! see yourself for who you are, whether you want to or not. And we'll start with your past, not because it can be bent out of its eternal shape, but because what you are now is tied to what happened to you then. Show him the page from his past, and if he won't look, Squeeze his head till his eyes pop out! As anticipated, Grub refused to look. The goblin nodded, and a large goblin stepped forward, grabbed the back of Grub's head, and shoved it down until his eyes were on the page. 
What is it you see, Grave Digger? A drawing of me as a boy and me father. You sound alarmed. Why would the sight of you and your father distress you? What Grub saw was a drawing of a man. Angular, long-faced, stern-looking. Sitting in a Queen Anne chair and reading from a large Bible he held on his lap. A boy of about eight was in front of the fireplace, playing with his wooden soldiers. As Grub looked on, the picture suddenly came to life. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Achoo! Excuse me? What was that? Uh, nothing, Father. Nothing? I, I, I only sneezed, Father. Sneezed, you say? Then why did you say it was nothing? A sneeze is something, is it not? Why did you say nothing happened when something did happen? P please Father! Ow! P please Father! Ow! I I'm so sorry! Stop your snivelling, you worthless cob! In public, me old man with a picture of piety. He spoke of gold, read his Bible, church going. Things that have the ring of the devout about him. But for all his religion, he weren't the better for it. You never knew when he'd rage. Anything could set him off. Nothing could set him off. He never needed calls to beat me. Why are you showing me these things? Forcing me down past where I don't want to go. Why? Because you're walking the same path as your father. I ain't. You are! There's more on the page. Look again. Grub did, and saw another drawing on the page. It was the same room as before, but now a sparsely adorned Christmas tree stood in the corner, and some cheap holiday decorations adorned the mantle. But he saw something else. His mother and father, arguing. Once again, the drawing came to life. <laughs> Please, dear, let go of me arm. You're hurting me. I won't mention it again. I was just saying it would help if you... You're right, woman. You'll not mention it again. Mother, what have you done to her? Get out, boy. This doesn't concern you. You're wrong. It does concern me. Put that poker down and get out. No. I told you to leave. I'm not. I said, put it down. When Gabriel's father stepped back to put distance between himself and his son, he tripped over the fallen body of his wife. In falling, his head struck the edge of the table. As he lay on the floor, there was a dull, hollow moan. Then nothing. Mother, are you all right? He won't hurt us again. Why must I see all this? Why are you conjuring up these ghosts? You've seen your share of the worst, Grave Digger. You've every right to be angry. But anger is a ticklish thing. It releases into the soul tremendous steam that can be used to drive a hammer or tap an egg. 
Some use anger's energy to rise above their wounds, if only to let their scourge know they're unbroken. But others are destroyed by it. The anger caused by a monster itself becomes a monster that drags them to self-destruction. I've had enough of your mush. So you have, have you? In that case, you need to see what is. Show him his present. No, please, no. Ben, Ben, is that you? Yes, Mother. You don't sound right. Is something wrong? Oh, Ben, you've been crying. I was in a scrape, Mother. Who with? The sexton. The sexton? Gabriel Grubb? What happened? He hit me. He hit you? But why? I don't know. I'd seen him at the church earlier, and he in a foul mood. But he's always in a foul mood. I was on my way home, singing, when I saw him coming towards me. Next thing I know, he's beaten me. But Mother, I, I didn't do anything. Believe me, I didn't. Oh, Ben, my poor boy. Does it still hurt? More on the inside than outside. I don't understand. I earned a penny for sweeping out the church and I used it to buy some plums. Ever since we lost father, Christmas has been a bad time for you. I was hoping you'd see the plums and think to make some pudding like you used to. And you'd be happy again, if just for a while. But when Mr. Grubb hit me, I dropped the plums and before he finished, he knocked me on top of them. They're smashed. I'm so sorry, Mother. I was wanting to surprise you. Oh, my sweet boy. You really have surprised me. Don't worry about the plums. But if that villain grub ever touches you again, well, God help him. The boy would be an impertinent. No, he wasn't. When one like you is driven by hate, the smallest things assume great significance. Ben Britton's hair may need brushing, his hands cleaning, and his clothes mending. But he's a harmless, warm-hearted, affectionate child who never did you wrong. Yet you took something as harmless as a sneeze and did to an innocent boy worse than your father did to you. What you did cries to heaven! And what do you know about such things, Goblin? What do you know about having a father who just as soon beat you as look at you? What do you know about the nightmare of seeing your father beat your mother's face to a pulp? What do you know about the hell I's carried inside me because of what I's been through? Tell me, Goblin, what do you know about any of this? For the longest time, the Goblin didn't speak. Sometimes, wisdom manifests itself in silence. What would I know? I know that given what you've endured in your past, it's not surprising that you've become what you are. It was a blessing your father died, but he left behind a terrible legacy, a tendency to evil. 
that you inherited and over time developed. I don't want to hear it. The facts are undeniable, Grave Digger, but you still resist them, which means you must see the last page, the page of your passing. <laughs> no. Show him! The drawing on the last page was of a black night and a black hole that was an old, abandoned house that reeked of damp and mould and filth. In front of the door stood two men, bearing on their shoulders what looked like a body wrapped in burlap. As Grubb looked on, what happened before happened again. The picture became animated. The man in front carried a lantern and was talking. Oh, tis a cold Christmas Eve, I might... Aye, and I wouldn't be out except for me wife screeching about having nothing decent for Christmas meal. What about the odds and ends I put in the cupboard? I asked. The muffins and crumpets I found behind the baker shop. Scrape off the mould and they's as good as new. <laughs> what did she say? Not much. Just started flailing away with her skillet. I said if I didn't come up with something proper for Christmas meal, she'd knock me into next year. I's only here because I's in no hurry to get to next year. You let your woman squawk at you like that? Oh, you're an embarrassment to husbandry. You know that? <laughs> Maybe so. But it's too late to undo it now. What the deuce? <sighs> this place smells worse than stinking meat. Say, why is we bringing the body here anyway? Why ain't we taking it to the cemetery? Well, the deacon said they wouldn't allow the scoundrel to be buried in holy ground. He's paying us to dispose of him on the cheap. Well, there's nothing cheaper I know of than this. What do you mean? I mean, we're leaving him for the rats. This place is crawling with them. Oh, rats? Well, they'll have his bones picked clean before we get home. And I've a bag of cheese curds to sprinkle on the remains. Priming the pump, you might say. <sighs> this has given me the creeps. If you hadn't been late meeting up, we'd already be back home by now. Well, I meant to be earlier. <laughs> Just as I was leaving the house, me woman tells me I ain't going nowhere till I'd pluck the squab for the pigeon pie we's having for Christmas dinner and pitted the cherries meant for the pudding. You were late. Because your woman made you stay at home to pluck and pick. Yeah, I was. I weren't about to light her fuse the night before Christmas. What kind of idiot you take me for? Now, let's dump grub and clear out of here before the rats must take us for dinner. Grub? Did he say grub? I believe he did, but let me check with the boys. What did he say, boys? <laughs> That's what I thought they said, Grave Digger. Hearing this, a sense of cold terror seized Gabriel Grubb as the ugliness he had become seeped into his soul. So that's how I end. No mourners, no coffin. No preacher saying a good word over me. Just rats. A good word? And what would that good word be, Grave Digger?
there ain't one. I understand, sir. Nothing more can be done for me. Nothing be done? Who told you that? Oh, you, you, you just showed me. I showed you what shall be if you continue to anger your life away. But remember this, and remember it to the last. So long as there's life, there's hope. Hope? There's more mercy in heaven and on earth than you've dreamed of, Grave Digger. You're awfully unlovable, and many will think it a good day when the world is rid of you. But if the sand gate to the bottom of your boots can be thrown into the fire to make a crystal through which the stars can be seen, there's hope, Gravedigger, even for you. It was as if a thousand thunders had gone off inside Grub. For there is nothing in this world that outshines the brightness of hope. And suddenly, unexpectedly, incredibly, there it was. In what had seemed the darkest night, a faint ember now shone like a floodlight. And the prospect of hope brought Gabriel Grubb to his knees. Raising his clasped hands to the goblin, he said, Oh, tell me, goblin, tell me, I beg you. How can I escape the rats and the end I deserve? The answer to that is the easiest but hardest thing I could ever tell you, Grave Digger. But here it is. You must love. Love? What do you mean? I mean, you must begin to live as if another's life is greater than your own. I mean, you must show devotion and humiliation, submission to someone else, service to others, trust and belief, and sacrifice to those who favor you, wound you, or tear your heart to pieces. Love is a long, hard road, but it alone can conquer the ghosts that haunt you and free you from a past that holds you. It's a task and a drudge, but you can love Gravedigger. I know you can. For what seemed forever, Grub stood silent with his head bowed. I've been ripped up this night. I've never felt more shame than I has on this night by thinking of what I am. Splendid! Ah, you've taught me, sir. The Dickens, you say. And just what is it I've taught you? That I've been a bloody fool. For however many days I left in me, I means to spend them unselfing myself. Springing from his throne, the goblin removed his hat and with a flourish bowed to the sexton and said, Your servant, sir. The cavern darkened. First the goblin, then the rest, stepped back into shadow and were gone. Gabriel Grubb, utterly spent, lay down on the ground and fell asleep.
<sighs> what? I must have gotten too deep into the spirits last night and passed out. Now, wait. Spirits. The book. Me father. The boy. The rats. I've been with the goblins. After night comes morning, and with morning comes new hope. Gabriel Grubb had never known a night so long, so short, or so significant, and he awoke an altered man. He was covered with snow. His flask still lay on the ground with his spade and lantern, and the grave was still half dug. Everything was as it had been, except there were no goblins to be seen. The bell, yes, the bell, it's Christmas! Oh, it's Christmas and there's hope. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope. So long as I's alive, the goblin said. And I's alive, I am. There's hope, hope. Had you seen him, you would have thought that Gabriel Grubb was seized by hysterics. He took no heed of anybody or anything. He ran about like a child. He scooped up handfuls of snow and threw it in the air, leaving him so covered with frozen moisture that he began to resemble a snowman. He laughed and cried in the same breath. He was, at that moment, the embodiment of pure joy. Yes. Wait. Love. Oh, yes. The goblin said I must love. Yes, I must. And down the road to the village he rushed. Malicious people are typically miserly, and Gabriel Grubb was typical. For years he had hoarded without a thought to anyone else. But after being schooled by the goblin in the undertones of love, he determined to become a spender, sharing his wealth with the poor, the hurting, the despairing. Excessive sorrow is proverbially selfish, and for all her goodness, Mrs. Britton's sorrow had made her selfish. But Ben's unshakable joy, his hope for a reclamation from sadness, touched her deeply. And in admiration of her son, she determined not to waste another moment grieving what she'd lost to the neglect of what she had. Though she and Ben had little more than each other, they had their voices and they sang their joy. Who could that be? I don't know. I'll check. There's no one here, Mother. But someone just knocked. I know. Wait, there's something on the ground. A bag? What's in it? I don't know. Let me open. Gold sovereigns? Silver crowns? There must be some mistake. Ben, someone's left a present at the wrong house. There's a note. To Ben. Compliments of the goblins? It wasn't a mistake. It was love. No one ever suspected this godsend came from Gabriel Grubb, for he was nowhere to be found. He knew he had stirred the enmity of nearly everyone in town, and the thought of remaining where his repentance would be doubted and his reformation disbelieved was more than he wanted to face. He understood life well enough to know that when a fire rages, the wise thing is to back away until it has burnt itself out. This he did, and in time, the hard feelings the villagers had for him died out, starved to death by his absence and the passage of time. With a knapsack stuffed with coins, he journeyed to where he was unknown, and there did all the good he could 
with as little fuss as possible. And in time, by constant loving acts, Gabriel Grubb rose to a height beyond himself. And wonderful things happen. Late at night, poor people struggling to pay their rent, facing eviction, would hear a knock. Upon answering, all they'd ever find was a small bag containing gold and silver coins and a note. Compliments of the goblins? What does that mean, dear? Parents with a sick child but without money for a doctor had similar experiences. Yes? Oh, no one's here. Just, wait, a bag with a note. What does it say? Compliments of the goblins? As he promised in the goblins' cavern, he unselfed himself. Love so healed his soul that it began to grow young, even as he grew old. In time, the loveliest thing about Gabriel Grubb was Gabriel Grubb. And that, my friends, is the story of the goblins who stole a sexton. A superb story, Wardle! Captivating! One worthy of this blessed night. Except he didn't finish it. What? Th there's more. A bit, but I fear everyone has had enough of Grub and the Goblins for one night. Ah, rubbish! Whatever is left, tell it. Finish the story, man. <gasps> All right. After Gabriel went missing, someone suggested purely as a joke that Goblins had grabbed him. The jest hadn't passed through four sets of ears, however, before it became gossip that was soon elevated to the level of sacred truth. And on this, the new sexton, who had a touch of the charlatan about him, sought to capitalize. Case of missing sexton sold. Goblins pay a visit. We are not alone. See the proof for yourself. One bob. One bob? Seems pricey. Only to skinflints on concern about the fate of their former church official. Compatch for Gabriel Grubb. If you're counting on that to sell tickets, you'll go broke. Well, if you don't want to hear about Grubb, what about the goblins? Surely you'd like to see the evidence that they were here? I guess. But a bop? Not a penny less. Uh, all right. But if you're cheating me, I'll know it. Right, let's see what you got. Right here. Onto the table. A broken piece of weather vane. That's your proof goblins were here. Makes everything as clear as day. It does. Oh, must I spell it out for you? Gabriel Grab disappears. I find a piece of the church weather vane on the ground. Coincidence? I don't think so. Clearly, the goblins flew here on a winged horse grabbed grub, and as they flew off, the horse accidentally kicked off part of the weather vane. You don't think the thunderstorm the other night had anything to do with the broken vane, do you? Oh, is everyone in this parish as slow on the uptake as you? Can I have my bob back? <laughs> <laughs> and now I come to the final scene. Twenty years or so after Grub disappeared, an old man walked into town. As he shuffled through the streets, he looked around as though familiar with all he saw. At length, he went into a pub where were gathered some locals. After ordering a pint, he asked no one in particular if anyone knew a boy named Ben Britton. Everyone knows Ben Britton. 
He's one of the best we got. Lost his father early and his mum not long ago. How's he doing? He's fine. Years ago, he came into some money, but he always shared what he had with those who had less. Freely gained, freely gived, he'd say. Strange, though. Whenever he helps someone, he, he always says compliments of the goblins. He says that. He does. Don't know why. Never explained, but he always says it. The stranger smiled and rose to leave. On the counter, he left the only coin he had, a gold sovereign, and then walked out into the gloaming, headed for a path called Coffin Lane. Up to the church graveyard he went, and there found a spot where he'd once spent a Christmas Eve many years before. Stretching out on the ground, with nothing but the stars above and hope within, he fell asleep. Sometime during the night, Gabriel Grubb awoke and saw before him a brilliant golden staircase, which he climbed right into the sunrise. <laughs> Keeping watch from behind a tombstone was a curious onlooker wearing a sugarloaf hat. When he knew the gravedigger was gone, he removed his hat, made a deep bow, and in a whisper of a whisper said, Your servant, sir. When Ben Britton heard an old man had been found dead in the cemetery, he sent word that he'd pay for the man to have a proper burial. <laughs> oh my. It's past midnight. I've slogged on far too long. Oh, it wasn't a slog, my good sir. And it wasn't too long. It was a, a, a great story, greatly told. Whenever a man breaks a grip of hate and turns to love, he covers himself with glory. But it, it, it is late and time for us to retire. And on the strength of this good story, let us go home to our beds and dream cherished dreams. After all, it will be Christmas Day in the morning. Three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. You have just heard a presentation of The Goblins and the Gravedigger, performed by Hagerock Theatre Group. Kevin Stanley played Gabriel Grubb and Gabriel Grubb's father. Tom Doonan was the Goblin. Matthew Callan was young Ben Britton. Sean Roach was Mr. Pickwick and a Deacon. And Donaghy played the role of Mrs. Wardle. Aisha Jaali and Ava Connor were small goblins and villagers. Jack Montgomery played a deacon, a sexton, and an undertaker. Matthew Garrity played the role of an undertaker and a villager. Rory Coggins played the role of young Gabriel Grubb. Fergus Mullen was Mr. Ward. Ben's mother was played by Brigitte Nelson, who was also voice and accent coach for the production. Special appreciation goes to the internationally renowned folk group, the Irish Rovers, for use of their recordings with their compliments, and to Nashville recording artist Craig Duncan for his music. Gavin Wynn was the studio engineer. Kenny Chumley and Patricia Reynolds adapted and produced this show, directed by Patricia Reynolds. The novella, The Goblins and the Gravedigger, published by Adelaide Books, New York, is available from Amazon.com. Thanks for listening. This has been Midnight Audio Theatre. This is 90.5 FM WCBE Columbus in 106.3 FM Newark, 
a broadcast service of Columbus City Schools.